Barry, what are some of the best ways to engage the community and local governments in funding farmland preservation? Well, it's something that citizens can take an active involvement in. Many times uh, there are, there's an issue that comes up. I'll give you an example where I live here in Dexter Township. There was a proposal to rezone a property from agricultural, which was five acre minimum lot sizes, to rural residential, which was two acre minimum lot sizes, that came up before the Township Planning Commission and citizens got engaged on that. They uh, were notified of the potential change and started attending meetings and getting information about how this thing came about and how they might be able to contest it. It was in the middle of that process that I got called into it as a neighbor and something of a land use expert. And I gave people some tips on how to contact their planning commissioners and what to say to them, what arguments to make, in opposition to this proposal, and ultimately also to the Board of Trustees, the elected board, because they ultimately make the decision on a rezoning change of this nature. So citizens took the initiative on that, but in our case here, I said to those folks, you know, we need to have a proposal on the ballot to fund a program as other townships around here have done. And so we drafted a petition to the township board saying, we've seen other local programs have great success. We want to have one here in our community. We're asking you to put it on the ballot for us. And citizens then circulated those petitions around. I think we collected 165 signatures or something of that nature. And it wasn't a binding kind of petition. In Michigan, anyway, the only way to get on the ballot outside of a city is to have the elected board put it on the ballot. So either a city council or a village council or a county board of commissioners or a township board of trustees. They're the only ones that have authority under Michigan law to put a proposal before the voters. Cities are the exception in that cities usually have charters and the city charter usually allows for citizens to go out and collect signatures on legal petitions. You've seen those circulated for any number of things over the years, but there's a certain format and a structure. And if you get people to register voters to sign on that and have enough of those signatures on there, then that forces the issue onto the ballot. But in Michigan, that's only for cities. I don't know how that works in other parts of the country, but outside of cities here in Michigan, you gotta have the elected board put it on the ballot before you. So we collected our signatures and went before the board a couple of months ago and said, we want you to do this. And the board is scheduled to vote on that either in November or December for next May to be on the ballot. So we're in process about that. So that's one way that citizens can get in, involved in such things. Sometimes you'll find a person on that elected board who is a supporter and gets it. And you can work with that person to influence other members of that board of trustees or city council or whatever it might be. Many times that's not the case. So if there aren't any current supporters. They just haven't really considered the question before, or they might be ideologically opposed to it. So that presents another set of challenges. A petition showing interest goes a long ways toward convincing elected people that there is value and interest in doing something. Other things that we've done over the years is that we've just held public meetings and invited anybody to come out that wanted to, publicize it in the newspaper or online and just informational sessions to, so people can come and learn about you know, what conservation easements are and what ballot campaigns are and why this is a good idea to do things. We've also done targeted outreach to certain farmers or landowners to generate their support. It's less of an issue here now because we've been doing this for a long time, 
But in the beginning for us, there wasn't any easements on properties. And this whole idea of selling development rights, you know, taking a couple of sticks out of the bundle and conveying those, but still holding the rest of the sticks and the title to the property was an unusual concept for people to grasp. And so we did outreach with particular landowners who we thought would be supportive, who would be torchbearers in the farming community or particular properties. We'd go to those landowners and say, you've got a particularly significant property because of these reasons. And we're interested in this program. We'd like you to know more about it and uh, enlist you as a supporter. So we've done those kinds of things. So there's any number of ways that you can generate the interest in the community and engage people in the community and then also with the, the elected bodies, which are ultimately the only ones who can put a proposal before the voters. So you've described a little bit about getting the proposal on the ballot. And I imagine a lot of that work is done, like you're talking about, with some like-minded people, whether the property owners or residents or the officials. Once the proposal is on the ballot, what's involved with getting the word out to the community for them to get engaged? Then you're running a campaign. And like any other campaign, whether it's for a candidate or for a ballot proposal, you got to form a campaign committee. And here in Washtenaw County, you go and register that committee with the clerk of Washtenaw County. And then there are certain requirements that have to be met. You have to report every so often, every three months or so, I believe it is. And you have to say how much money you've gained and there are limitations on how much people can give. All those kinds of things have to be taken into account and accounted for. So you form a campaign committee, uh, you get it established with the county clerk. You have to go out and start raising some money. And usually in a local campaign in a township, it's not that much money. It's a few thousand dollars, really. Um, if we're going to go for a larger scale, like a county, could be much more than that. But depending on whether or not there's opposition, not terribly that much money. It might be eight or $10,000 for a, a countywide kind of proposal. I mentioned earlier the first campaign that we ran and lost, the only one that we've lost uh, in 98, when the developers and realtors were opposed to what we were proposing. In that campaign, they raised and spent $330,000 in their campaign, and we raised $220,000 in our campaign. So over half a million dollars was raised and spent. That's a very unusual circumstance. After that initial loss, we were able to work with the realtors and the home builders to a lesser degree and uh, minimize or eliminate their opposition um, to these programs. So the need for funds to run campaigns at this point is considerably lower than it was in that initial campaign. But nevertheless, you need to go out and raise a little money because you want to be able to communicate with the citizens of your community to get them knowledgeable, get them interested, and ultimately motivate them to show up to vote on the day that the ballot proposal's out there. And that usually entails things like sending one or more mailers. You know, think about how campaigns reach you or candidates reach you these days. Especially if it's a local campaign, you're not going to be dealing with television. You're not going to be dealing with radio in all likelihood. And so it's a matter of being able to reach the people in your community in other ways. So typically one or two mailers with information about the proposal show up in your mailbox and give you some information. Usually a website is created so people can look at that piece that comes in the mail and see where else they can get more information about it. Other times we hold public meetings during the course of a campaign and have people come to that and learn more about those things. You find people who are willing to serve as captains, if you will, that maybe live in a subdivision or in a neighborhood, get them educated and let them carry the ball 
and educate their neighbors about things. Even in a small community going door to door is very effective. And people are reticent about doing that. But we found people here in Dexter Township that are quite willing to do that because they feel so enthusiastic about the cause. They'll go knock on doors and either collect petition signatures or hand out literature and say, this is why we're doing this, because we have a beautiful community that we live in and we want to keep it that way. And we got to put money on the table in order to do that. So those are some of the basic strategies that are employed on a more local basis. In other campaigns, we have used newspaper advertisements. We have used radio. We even used television ads when we ran the City of Ann Arbor Greenbelt program in 2003 and still had some opposition from the developers at that point. And we knew that they were going to run advertisements on the television. And so we had to counter those ads and that costs some money to do. But most local campaigns, especially those without any organized opposition, don't require those kinds of media and hence the funds that are needed to use those. So we get the thing on the ballot, it passes, it creates a revenue source to buy the development rights. You've used some other types of funding in your work to complement and enhance and increase those funds. Can you describe some of those? Yeah, we've had great success with that here. The millages will generate a certain amount of money per year, and that will go for the term of the millage. Some of them around here were done for five years initially, some for 10, some for 20, one for 20, and the city of Ann Arbor one was 30 years. I would say that five years is too soon to go out for a renewal. I mean, you barely got things going, and then you have to go out and run another campaign, and that takes time and takes money. So my advice on that is, if you're going to go for a, a property tax millage in particular, that it be for at least 10 years. But that gives you then also the guarantee that you'll have funds available. And you know, it may only generate, say, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, but you can think in terms of, we've got it for 10 years, so we've really got $2 million to work with over that period of time. We don't have to wait until each collection is made. We can actually spend more than is in the bank and borrow from some other sources. And that's happened here in a couple of my townships where we had tremendous opportunities with matching funds from other sources, but didn't have enough of our own money in hand. We have borrowed from other internal accounts for the township. I think one of them was a fire fund. Uh, another one was the general fund of the township. So it's an inner, uh, intra, actually, uh, governmental loan. There's interest paid on it, but these days here in 2017, there's not very high interest rates. So it's basically an interest-free loan from another part of the government, which gets paid back with future revenues from millage receipts in future years. So there's that part of things, but you can also leverage other sources of funds. So sometimes there are funds from other units of government within your jurisdiction. As I said earlier, Washtenaw County has its own dedicated millage for this purpose. And in many cases, we have plugged into those funds. The city of Ann Arbor has its Greenbelt millage. And most of my townships, in whole or in part, are located within the Ann Arbor Greenbelt area, which stretches outside the city limits. That's another potential funding source for us. Sometimes there are private donations that are available, either directly to programs or through a land conservancy. There's a federal grant program for uh, farmland properties that's now called the Agricultural Conservation Easement Program, ACEP, which is uh, funded through the Farm Bill, the Omnibus Agricultural Nutrition Bill that Congress passes every five or six years. There's a program to help fund conservation easement purchases on qualified farmland from that. Another thing that can happen is that we, we talked earlier about uh, the appraisal process. 
Landowners do not have to take the full appraised amount. They can say, our example previously was that the development rights are worth $5,000 an acre. They could say, I'm willing to take $4,000 an acre rather than five. And they can use the difference between the sale price and the appraised price, the appraised value, as a federal income tax deduction. So they can help offset capital gains taxes if they're looking at those as a cost of doing this conservation easement. They can offset that tax by discounting the sale price of an appreciated asset that is granted to a governmental entity, also works for a land conservancy. And that's been a huge source of funds for us. It's, it's not like we get that money, it's just that we have to pay less money. And I think landowners in my three townships alone here have discounted the sale price by, I'm going to say, four or five million dollars. I mean, it's significant uh, amounts you know, where people said, you know, I'm willing to take less. It's their contribution to the whole process, which is terrific. And it makes our dollars go that much further. The key is to figure out what other sources of funds are out there and to take advantage of them. And there can be a lot. Each one of my three townships has attracted more money from other sources than they themselves have paid. One of them is one and a half dollars of outside funds to one dollar. One of them is two to one. And Webster Township is actually five dollars of outside funds for every dollar that we've brought in from township revenues. And you can make your dollars go a lot further and do a lot more good conservation work with those kinds of uh, leverages of funds.